Ellie Swift, ex-corporate marketer turned CEO and seven-figure business mentor for high-performing women building and scaling their soul-led, intentional, and profitable online businesses. I've coached hundreds of women to make six, multi-six, and seven figures using my signature Swift marketing method. And in this podcast, I'll teach you the strategy, marketing, and mindset to help you do the same. Let's dive in. On the podcast today, I have an incredible interview for you with the one and only Denise Duffield-Thomas. Now, if you don't know Denise, she is the money mentor for the new wave of online entrepreneurs who want to make money and change the world. She helps entrepreneurs charge premium prices, release the fear of money and create first class lives. Her books are Lucky Bitch, Get Rich Lucky Bitch, Chillpreneur, and her newest is Chill and Prosper, which we chat about in this episode. In addition to that, she has her money bootcamp, which has helped over 8,500 students from all around the world. This conversation with Denise was so great. There were so many things in this episode that I've never heard her speak to before, which I really loved. We talked all about how she's created 25 million in 10 years. We then talked a whole bunch about building a framework to last. So how to create a framework that really lasts the distance and how to navigate things like new trends and how your body of work relates to those new trends in the online space. I particularly found this really, really interesting. We talked about social media and social media boundaries. She took us through her process of how she's creating her new course, which was fascinating. There's just so much in this episode that I know you're going to absolutely love. So enjoy it. And as always, let me know what you think. Jump on over to Instagram and share with me, Ellie H. Swift, exactly what you most loved about this episode. Enjoy. All right. I am so incredibly excited to be here right now with the one and only Denise Duffield Thomas. Denise, welcome to Shine Online with Ellie Swift. Hi. Thank you so much, Ellie, for having me. So happy to have you here. Okay. So I was just saying to you off mic that the first thing I want to speak to in this episode right now is I saw you, I think it was about two years ago at a conference in Byron Bay. And I remember being so incredibly impressed because you were sitting in the first or the second row and you had your notebook out and you were taking notes and so engaged with everyone that was speaking. And I remember thinking, this is such a lesson for me to take this on in this moment of you know, being a lifelong learner is so important, obviously on this business path, but it was something that really stood out to me in that moment of, oh, I wonder if, you know, she credits learning to her business journey and her success. So can you tell me a little bit about that? What's your approach to learning? Oh yeah. I mean, I think I've always just been a really curious person and I think now that we're online so much, you know, I feel like we're just consuming so much stuff all the time, but I think that's the thing too. I've made a ton of money in business, but I'm not an expert in everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and especially I love going to conferences where, you know, when someone's coming and they're pretty new and fresh in their business and they've been able to jump on a trend and just make it their whole thing because they're able to be nimble and flexible like that. 
I love learning from those people because I think sometimes when you've been in business for a while, it is hard to pivot to new systems sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a big lesson for those of you who are new in business as well, is that you can be fresh and nimble and jump on things and become an expert really quickly because as people like me, you know, have been around forever who are like, oh, what's this TikTok thing? Yeah. It's interesting that you say that about it taking a little bit longer to pivot when you're a bigger business, because that was something else that I certainly had to learn on my journey. What's your process now when you're introducing something new to your business, whether it be your marketing or your strategy? Do you have a process around how you do that? When I started in business, I did everything myself. So I was literally like my web person, my graphic person, you know, all those things. And now it's, it is a bit more of a process. And so that's why, again, I think, oh, it's so cool if you're new in business, because you can look at what's the new system that everyone's using. What's the new social media platform? Because for me to change platforms, like when I changed from Infusionsoft to Kajabi, Mm. it was like a multi-month process with multiple team members, so many things to migrate over. And it just means that sometimes you can just come in fresh and leapfrog some of the old things. Um, it still has to come from me, you know, now that I've got a team, it still has to be me going, oh, what's this new cool thing? Okay, let's try and do it. And sometimes we have to, we have to be like, when can we do this in our year? Like, when can we do this in our launch? And it's hard. Like I'm working on a new course at the moment. I forgot how much work it is creating something like that. And yeah, it's just full on. So, you know, if you're new in business, don't get that imposter syndrome because you can just jump on things so quickly and you can find whatever is the best and new. Yes. So, so agree with you on that. This is spoken from the experience of somebody who has made 25 million in the last 10 years. Is that right? Yeah. That's Australian dollars. Yes. Um, so what's that? Probably about 20 million US. That's incredible. Congratulations, first and foremost. What an amazing achievement. I really want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you attribute to that success. And I want to talk about your strategy, your marketing, and your mindset. Let's start with the mindset piece. What's the mindset that helps you make 25 million in 10 years? The mindset is getting over your first like $100. Tell us more about that. Do you think? It's so much harder People often ask me, when you clicked over a million for the first time, were you super excited? Did you celebrate? And I was like, I actually didn't, but I celebrated my first $225. I so relate to this. I remember the feeling, the visceral experience of when I sold out my first course and we did our first, it was a 10K launch. It felt like I was high on cocaine. Like it just felt like the most insane experience ever. And we've just done our first million in the business this past year. And nothing beats that, that 10K. I really believe as well that that's the hardest part. Like making that first money is the hardest. And I say to my clients and another client repeated this back to me the other day. She was like, I live by the ethos that you share of it does get easier. And so I love that you said that because anyone who is in early stages right now will be listening to this going, okay, yes, I can see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. There so- is, and there they're creates that momentum, you know, all the things that you mm-hmm. teach with your audience is I made a commitment really early on that I was going to do a weekly newsletter and a weekly blog. And I have had that commitment since 2009, every single week 
without fail. That's my only secret. Honestly, it really is because you just get so much momentum because then you continue to create that content, but then your other content's out there, people start sharing it. And it almost becomes this wheel that takes so long to start turning at the start that now I have so much momentum, I could do nothing and still make money for at least a couple of years. But that's why it feels so frustrating at the start because you're cranking this wheel, but you yet to see the bigger picture. You yet to see it all turn. And that's where I see people give up because their first blog didn't go viral or they didn't get any comments on a social media post. I have shown up on social media every single day. So I try and do a daily thing, a weekly bigger thing, like a blog or a podcast nowadays. And then like once a month, I might do, I don't know, a webinar or something like that. Once a quarter, I might have a launch. And that's literally my only marketing strategy. I get a little bit more sophisticated with it. Like I started batching content. So I wasn't coming up with that on like Thursday before my newsletter went out. And I, you know, would batch two weeks in advance, then a month in advance. Now I can batch six months in advance really easily because I know what I'm talking about. The systems have gotten a little bit sexier, but it's always pretty much been me creating something and then someone on my team turning it into a thing. Mm. And that's kind of it. I love that. And I think that I would be really disappointed if your answer was really convoluted (laughs) because that's so inaccessible, right? And what you shared is so accessible to anyone, whether they've got a big team right now or whether it's just them. What about your strategy? So when you mentioned obviously your marketing strategy just now, in terms of your bigger picture, what it is that you're creating in your business, say, you know, how many times you're launching bootcamp or whatever it looks like. Is that something that you judge based on financial assessment? Do you based on how excited you are about like, do you, Mm. what are your metrics there? So my overarching marketing philosophy is all roads lead to bootcamp. Those of you who don't know, I've got a course called Money Bootcamp. It's been around for 10 years. We've had eight and a half thousand students through it. That helps me to not wreck my business Mm -hmm. and to not get too caught up in shiny objects. And it also means too, this is my really important philosophy, don't mess around in your back end, experiment in your front end. And by that, I mean, I give myself permission to talk about whatever I want to in my marketing. And whenever I feel that little shiny object itch, I go, well, great, write a podcast about that. Do a new freebie for it, but don't mess around with the thing that makes you money and helps people. And so I know I have a bucket to put people in to help them, you know? And so I don't have to then go, oh, I'll create this other thing for them. I'll create this other thing for them. I go, here's where you can go. Take that road to money boot camp. I only let myself change um, or tweak or update the course every two years. Mm-hmm. And that's really important too, because every time again, I go, oh, I should put this in the course. I go, or you could just make it a freebie and just give it to everybody and allow people to go into the course. That really helps me in so many ways because I have ADHD. I'm a creative entrepreneur. I see cool things that I want to do, but I just channel them into the front end of my funnel, not the back end of my funnel. And I just see people just break their business or they unpublish things or they they stop too early before enough people have seen their offer. It's so true. And what you just said, the cool thing about that as well is that 
that's how you can stay excited, right? Because there's newness all the time in you sharing your social content, in you creating new podcasts. You can be a thought leader and speak to what's current and present in the world and in the online space and all of those things. But it doesn't mean that you need to change your process, your framework, no. boot camp. And I really think that for everyone that's listening, that's such a big thing to take note, write down, underline bold, because I really think that it's the people that have longevity in this business from my, you know, four years in it. Obviously, I haven't been around anywhere near as long as you have. But what I believe to be true is people that stick out the long game are people that really create that body of work and don't deviate from it. And of course, that doesn't mean that you can't upgrade and change. As you say, you do that every two years, but it means being so consistent and clear on this is the exact way that I can help you because that builds so much trust, right? Exactly. And there's a consistency in that too of going, I don't know, of course I get bored with it or I think, oh, everyone's seen this work. But so what I'm trying to do now is I've got my framework and I'm just trying to find new nuances all of the time because that keeps it really interesting to me. For example, I I started to do some roundtables with people who lived in um, you know, the same country or, or the same industry to say, well, let's look at this work that we're doing together, this framework of looking at your money blocks and money mindset. So let's look at it from the context of being British. Mm. Let's look at it the context of being Australian. Let's look at it from being a photographer. And that just is so interesting. I haven't gotten bored yet because yeah. I'm finding the nuances, but without completely burning everything to the ground. And my example for this is always, you know, the guy that does the four agreements. What's yes. his name? Uh he's got a hyphen surname. Four agreements guy, I call him yeah. Yeah. Um like, he's literally just teaching you like the four things again and again and again. Byron Katie with the work, it's like a couple of questions. She's literally just created this whole empire around it and so many of those people who've been around for a long time they're not necessarily reinventing the wheel and that might sound boring to people but it's not when you find all of those nuances within it and I could literally just pick a word out of the dictionary and I could run a whole three-day seminar on how that relates to your money mindset. I was at my farm recently and um, we had this really like sandy soil And it had these weeds growing in it and you could just pull the weeds out and it just came out like in a really satisfying way because you could Um, kind of see it. (laughs) So good. And I was like, I could run a whole day at the farm just getting people to pull out weeds and then we can debrief what it means for our money mindset. Some of them are hard to pull out. Some of them are easy. Like I just love that work. Yeah. But it's so simple, my business because I just keep on showing up and just sharing those little nuances and just saying to people, well, here's how I can help you. And yes, I get imposter syndrome. Yes, I get bored. Yes, I second guess everything. But I still just go, all you have to do today is not break that. I really, really love this conversation so much. You know, obviously in the online space at the moment, the conversation around feminine energetics is so big. We've swung from all the way from strategy to feminine energetics, right? Which is Hilarious. I'm sure we could talk about that separately for another five hours, but something that I really enjoy doing is using the mindset part of my framework to respond to the energetics conversation and basically go, well, how do mindset and energetics relate? And 
when I teach mindset, I'm, I'm talking about the mind-body connection. And so it's been really fun to play with, well, what does that mean in relation to my work? Is there anything that comes up for you where you can think have there been certain trends that you've played with in terms of money mindset? And obviously your very extensive framework around that and how you've woven the two together or any point of view that's been really fun for you to play with. And if so, how did you get to that? Yeah, I mean, since I have been around for quite a while, and actually my first info product that I ever created was in 2004. Mm. Um, so that's like 17, yeah, 17 or so years ago. You've seen a few trends. I have. I think what's happening at the moment is people have to remember it's always going to be the basics of how people change their life in some way. Mm-hmm. The methods will change, you know, whether it's, video, audio, hologramming into people's houses, which will be so soon that we'll be doing things like that. That's not going to change. Storytelling will always be how we communicate with each other. What I am seeing, though, is just more of the nuances within the nuances that I know that I definitely didn't see when I started my business. Mm. For example, you know, this whole conversation we're having about the love and light spiritual bypassing. I would have done that to people in my early years of business and not being inclusive to other people's experiences. And especially now when there's still so much suffering in the world that, you know, the planet is really going through it. It doesn't serve anybody to ignore the realities of that situation. And so I think we have to really straddle that line of wanting to be a positive influence in people's lives and wanting to create positivity, but not gaslighting people for their situations and ignoring the realities that some people face. So I think that's where I've definitely seen just more conversations around that, you know, and sometimes pendulums swing a little bit. And I'm seeing that at the moment, almost backlash to the pendulum swing of people going, go outside and touch grass because you're online too much. 100%. And I can see that in myself, especially the last couple of years of the pandemic, because we've been at home so much. Mm. I've noticed myself wanting to, like almost having FOMO, but wanting to make sure I don't miss any of those nuances. That can be like a real bit of a trap too, you know, of just going, I need to make sure I'm seeing every perspective and making sure that I don't miss a language change or a word change, because words do change. And we have to be mindful of that. And that's why, again, updating my course every sort of 18 months, two years is important because sometimes I'm actually saying the same words almost exactly. Like when I look back at my videos for my first money bootcamp, I'm literally saying the same words, but the nuances are slightly different sometimes and the energetics are slightly different. And that's why I did a new version of my book because there's some things that pre-pandemic it's almost like, well, the world has turned upside down and it, it's just like slightly different. You know, it's going into an alternate reality where things are just slightly different and you can't quite figure out why. Those conversations have just kind of come up again and again. But people will always need help, transformation, support, space, cheerleading, accountability, to look and feel better, to solve particular problems, for people to curate information for them. That's timeless. I'm interrupting this episode for just a minute to tell you more about how you can be coached by me in 2022. So the way that I coach my clients to build six-figure and multi-six-figure businesses is through my two well-known mastermind programs, SwiftMind and Six Figure Circle. 
If you're a coach, creative, or a consultant wanting to build a six-figure, multi-six, or seven-figure business, then I'd absolutely love to support you. The next round starts in September 2022, and we often sell out before announcing to the public. If you want to save a space, you need to be on the wait list. So to do that, just jump on over now to elliswift.com forward slash mastermind. Let's dive back into the episode. really inspired hearing you talk about this. And I think everyone listening will be as well, because it's just that full permission slip to not overthink everything, not question yourself a million times, trust your body of work, trust what you've created and focus more on the nuance, like focus on shifts in nuances rather than like rewrites or overhauls. Absolutely. And sometimes it's a word, you know, it's just a word or just a little sentence, not throwing everything out every time. I really relate to that. For example, the word tribe, I'm sure I've used it previously, would never in a million years use that word now. And like you say, like it's that nuance of what that means, the definition, the education we have around it now. So on that note, you've segued us really beautifully because I wanted to talk a little bit about social media and social media boundaries. So how do you then manage that fear of missing out on new terms, new nuances, new whatever else? And knowing that to run the type of business you do, I imagine you have that thought process of I've got to maintain good boundaries. I've obviously got to regulate my nervous system and make sure I'm not spending all my time consuming other people's content. Like, can you just talk us through practically how you do that? So I remember I went to a conference in 2009, right? I think Twitter had only really just started. And I remember I asked a question, which is my go to for any networking event, always ask the first question because then you introduce yourself to everyone in the room and then introvert done. But anyway, I put up my hand and I asked a question and I said, and I always introduced myself. I was always like, I'm Denise Duffield Thomas, back then of author of Lucky Bitch. I just was like, then I'm done. I don't have to talk to a single other person. But anyway, the lady said, oh, you're the girl who's always on Facebook. And I went, yeah. And so the truth is I am extremely online. And that is a choice. It's not because of I have to be because I've got so many more better boundaries. Now we can talk about that, about my group. I had terrible boundaries for like the first seven years. I don't know. I feel like that's just the world we live in a little bit. I also think I could probably do less of that. So where I spend a lot of my time actually is on Twitter. And so that's not necessarily for business. That's where I'm kind of politically active on there and making sure that I'm seeing what's happening in the news. And I find myself sometimes, though, there's so much bad stuff happening, especially when you see all the shootings in America and then you see this, that and the other and then blah, blah, like all the stuff. And so I probably could do a bit more work around that for myself and literally go out and touch some grass or touch, (laughs) touch some sand in my case. I love the honest answer. I find for me, if I spend too much time online, I really feel it in my nervous system. Like I feel really dysregulated and I have to set some boundaries around being online first thing in the morning, being online first thing in the evening, especially with just back and forth conversations and, you know, that feeling of like, I need to reply to people or whatever. Do you experience any of that? 
Yes, because my audience is a lot in America, I do check my phone first thing in the morning. And sometimes that's 5.30 in the morning because that's when my kids are up. So I think I'm kind of just used to that. What is different though now is that I don't go into my bootcamp group. Okay. So I'm using it as like a consumer, not necessarily as, you know, like for, for my clients. And that's only a fairly recent change. I used to have my personal profile in that group. Now it's a business profile. So when I'm on Facebook, you know, chatting to my friends and sharing cat videos, it's not just coming up in my feed. And then I go, oh, I have to answer that. I have to answer that. I have to answer that. That has been the biggest change for me. And also about a year or so ago, I stopped going in there on weekends. And that sounds ridiculous to think, oh my God, you know, you had that group for 10 years and you only stopped doing that at year nine. It's not hard work, but it just felt like then I had to be on all the time. And to be honest, I still struggle with the guilt of that, even though now I pay, you know, I have community managers in there. I have a weekend community manager. I still feel guilty like it's not enough. Mm. And I think that's just such a challenge for us in business, like this feeling that we have to over deliver, but still feeling like it's not enough. And I'm totally there as well. And Mm. so I have to kind of then go, well, I've created this course. I've created a framework. I've created this community group for them. They actually don't get me 24 seven. And I remember it's never really been an issue, but someone tagged me on the weekend a couple of months ago and was really rude about it. And I was like, I don't work on weekends. Like I do a sign off post on Friday and then I'm, and she was just like, well, you should be here answering my questions. And I was like, I don't work for you. That's not, I'm not your coach. That was really tricky. But I think it was a couple of years ago, a friend of mine said, Denise, this is a community group for a course that you've created that people get a lot of value out of. I was like, oh yeah, because I'm the eldest child of a teen parent. I feel responsible for everything and everyone. So I'm like, it's not just a course. I'm responsible for their whole life. But I noticed though, when I made that shift a couple of years ago to have more boundaries, um, other people holding the space for me, I actually started attracting a different type of client. And the kind of ones who won't post every single day, all day long, but they'll pop up like a couple of months later and say, wow, I did everything you said and I just tripled my income. And I go, cool. And I didn't have to feel responsible for your whole life. Thank you so much for normalizing that. Also relate to being uh, oldest child and in my business, obviously being a mastermind model, it's a different type of model, but that said, there obviously is going to be boundaries in every single model you run, right? And it always surprises and delights me when someone comes on the call and they just quietly say something like that, like, yeah, I've gone away and done this and hey, this is what I've created. And I think it can be easy. It's almost like we perpetuate it without meaning to at times, right? Where we go, well, if I'm in constant conversation, that means that my clients are moving things forward more and therefore going to get more results. But actually that's the belief then that we have to be right in the pocket with them to help them generate their success. And that's not creating self-empowerment for our clients. And so, God, no. so I really love you normalizing that and, and how you've moved through that, because I certainly find that being someone who is more of like the high touch coach to quite a few women, that feeling of really needing to be right there with them, but also knowing that something that I teach is CEO mindset and that doesn't actually serve or support them. It doesn't. And I've seen it too. A friend of mine, when she first created her mastermind, 
none of them wanted to make a decision without running it by her. And she'd be doing all weekends. Like someone would be like, my ads have switched off. I don't know what to do. She's like, I'll jump on a call with you. Even if it was like Saturday at 11 p.m. at night, she was trying to do it from a place of generosity, but it was so disempowering really for those people because you've got to just suck it up sometimes and do it, you know. And when I see people blaming coaches or like, you know, blaming programs, I've never done that. Like I've done programs I didn't think were very good, but I always knew it was up to me to do it. They're going to do it for you. No coach can ever do it for you. Speaking of models, it's really interesting because when I started Money Bootcamp, I thought it was just going to be a one-off course. And so I was like, hey guys, here's a six-week course. And oh, how about we set up a Facebook group so we can connect? So my, it's always been a pay once program, not an ongoing membership. And so I have to be super clear that you don't get constant entertainment. You get the course, you can come back to it whenever you want, because some people have been there for 10 years and they still show up on calls. They contribute, they cheerlead, they don't, you know, take up energy in space or drama But you have to be so clear on what your model is because I see people do that kind of thing where it's pay once program, but they're treating it like an ongoing membership where it's like, here's something new and exciting for you guys. Here's something new. Let me entertain you. You have to be so clear on what that model is. If I went back in time though, the reason why I didn't want to do a membership is because I was thinking, I don't want the commitment of having this ongoing membership. And then I did a course for 10 years anyway, and it's still ongoing. (laughs) I think your model is brilliant. I reference your model so often with clients. I think it's exceptional. Isn't it cool though? Because that's just the mindset of like knowing that people pay once really changes probably the way that you show up in how you serve them. And that just makes so much sense to me. Okay. So let's talk criticism for a moment. You sent out an email, I think it was even yesterday, where you spoke about how, you know, something that you see in a lot of your peers is perhaps people who haven't continued forward in their business journey have done so because they just are not not into the criticism, don't want to handle it, navigate it, whatever else. And, you know, personal choice for everyone. But if we all knew how to navigate it better, then perhaps that would support more business owners to create incredible, you know, million dollar plus businesses. So can you just talk me through your process there? Because again, I would say that, you know, for me, and this is a selfish question, but I can handle criticism well. I ask for feedback a lot, but just doesn't feel great in my body and would love to, you know, move beyond that. I feel like I'm hoping for some magic answer here that you're probably going to be like, there isn't one, but. It's all about context, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, because no one likes to be criticized, but I actually see a lot of people not grow their business because of the fear of it. it hasn't even happened. Like they're rehearsing tragedy as Brene Brown calls it of going, what would I do if someone said they don't like it? And so they've never even put anything out because they're so scared. And then I see people almost quit over something. So there's a couple of different things. It always has to be in context and the right audience. Mm. So I see people solicit feedback in really inappropriate sources all the time of going, hey, guys, what do you think about this? And they're not your target audience. It's just not useful It's not useful to crowdsource pricing because people don't know what they would pay for something unless they're in the market, your target audience, they need it now. Mm. It's just theoretical random advice and you're just taking on all of their money blocks too. So that's the thing of don't solicit stuff from inappropriate places. Also, don't go looking for stuff that's none of your business. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. I don't go read my one-star reviews on Amazon. 
it's just none of my business. Mm-hmm. And also if they don't like something, I want them to be able to not like it because I know for me, when I don't like something, I just don't leave a review because I feel bad for the person. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, leaving a four-star instead of a five-star review, sometimes I feel bad. So I just think I like that people can just say that they don't like stuff. Mm. It's even stuff I don't like and it's not personal because there's a couple of times where I've, I reckon it was just literally came from a place of punish, self-punishment mm. where I was like, I'm going to go read my one-star reviews because I'm feeling so bad about myself. I'm just going to add to it. Yes. Um, and I had to laugh when I read them because one person was like, all her examples are for women. She should have put for women on the cover or made like the cover pink, made it really obvious that it's for women, which I just laughed at because I was like, men don't do that. They just assume Mm -hmm. their experience is universal. So they don't put four men on business books, which we have had to read hundreds of business books and just apply them to our own situation, let alone people who are queer or non-binary. So for that, I just went, okay, okay, Brian. And then I would get ones like, oh, I don't like that she swears. And I'm like, okay, that's just a personal preference. No big deal. So I think when you see those things, I just kind of go, okay, fine. The other thing though, sometimes people are rude and Mm. they think it's okay to comment on things like your personal appearance or your body or in that whole time I've been in business, I have been all different weights and literally from like size eight to size 18, all different. And I find that... Like people, you shouldn't comment on people's bodies. You know, you shouldn't comment on people's appearance. And so there's a couple of times where that has happened. And I've actually said, I am not a Sims character. Someone actually said it a couple of weeks ago. I'd finished a whole day of filming. I had full glam face of makeup. And it was a post about domestic violence. So not even like, you know, a funny, silly post. And she said, I prefer it when you're more natural. And I just said, I am me. You know, so you've got to assume that, you know, I like myself, I like my body, I like the choices I make. And I just said, yeah, it's just a bit rude to comment on someone's appearance. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I just sort of went, that's fine. I probably wouldn't have said that a couple of years ago, but now I just think it's actually rude. And I think we're just in a place where now people are so online, we just, we don't feel like people are real sometimes. Yeah, people forget that that's an actual person there that they're speaking to directly. So, okay. Yeah. I, I want oh, to. What, oh, sorry. On the criticism. Yeah. One more thing. This is really mm. important too. Yes. As your business grows, there is more ways and volume that people can contact you. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a reality, right? And I noticed that there's a point in people's business. It's like up to maybe the first six figures where they pride themselves on doing everything themselves. Yes. They're like, I answer every comment. If you email me, it's, you know, I will respond. And there gets to a point where the sheer volume just makes that untenable. But also if one to 3% of people are weird and mean and horrible, that just amplifies. It's still the same percentage. It feels bigger because you have more people coming at you. And so this is where you can start to have team members, gatekeepers, et cetera. I used to get in back and forth with people on email, like either arguments about something or trying to help them with something. So I'm not in the customer service inbox at all. For a long time, I didn't even give myself the password. Now, if I need to go in there to retrieve something, I will not even look because there's just stuff in there that I can't cope with. Someone's like, my link's broken, my thing. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. 
yeah, or people get rude, you know, how dare you or whatever. The other thing too, that I have um, an assistant in different time zone. She's the first point of call. If someone sends me a DM on like Instagram or Facebook, because 80% of the time it's like, where's this thing? I've got a broken link. How do I do this thing? I don't like this thing. Well, can Denise, you know, come on my podcast? If there's any horrible messages or any rude stuff or just admin that for me feels like an extra pebble in my backpack and it feels so overwhelming for me, again, with ADHD, I just go (laughs) and shut things down. So then when I come into my inbox or if I come into my social media DM box, it's all just nice, lovely things. Yeah, filter it out. I love that approach. It's curated. But um, I have friends who like Google themselves and stuff like that. Oh, don't do things like that. Sounds yeah. like a really bad idea. Yeah, I think avoiding that and knowing what you said there of it's none of your business is the best approach. I want to finish up by asking you about two things that you've got coming up. You keep teasing about this business course that I want you to talk about because it sounds very exciting. And then I want you to talk to us about Till and Prosper, please, and tell us, I believe that we've got pre-sale available at the moment how can people get their hands on it? Okay. So even though I do all roads lead to boot camp, yes. I do have sometimes a little side detour. <laughs> uh, about 10 years ago, I got certified in something called Sacred Money Archetypes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's by Kendall Summerhawk, who is amazing and one of my really early mentors. So she's created this thing. It's like, a you know, an archetypes you know, normal personality type test, but it's one of the most powerful that I've seen because each archetype has a very different relationship to money and also business. Okay. There's eight archetypes. So I was like, for this launch, I am going to do eight different sets, eight different costume themes, individual lessons, individual four-part video series. Wow. (laughs) I'm just like almost crying thinking about it because so say you've got a three or four part video series, including like a sales video and stuff. You only have to do four. I have to do four times eight, Ellie. Yeah. That's four times eight. Yeah. In the course, there's five, six lessons, right? It's like business models and marketing and passive income and team. And so that's times eight, Ellie. Yeah. (laughs) You create, you create. (laughs) It's But amazing, amazing, because how bespoke and tailored. And so, yeah, as with my course creator hat on, I'm like, that's big, but also consumer hat. I'm like, how amazing. This sounds incredible. And you can imagine too, from a course point of view, right? So what I'm trying to do is to make sure that the handouts for the lessons work for all archetypes, Mm -hmm. but then I'm putting in like a cheat sheet to say, well, this is how it would relate to all your archetypes. So it's so much work that's going into these handouts because I'm giving them the full context because if you and I were both rulers, you might be a ruler alchemist connector, but I might be a ruler maverick romantic, which I am. And so you've got to look at it in the context of all of your three archetypes. Mm. And so to try and make it easy, I've said to my, you know, designer and course people, I'm like, I'll just do one team handout. But then it means it's like a 20 page handout because I'm trying to give all the context. And then what I've said to my web lady, I literally was up really late last night doing the website, new course pages. What we're doing is we're doing one archetype first. So we're doing accumulator first with over the all six lessons and then we can copy them over, but we're trying to put in everything into them 
and then we'll just delete stuff later. Because I've said to her, this is what I learned when I was writing the script, you know, doing the course, is if you make a mistake one place, you have to go and change it in eight different places. And so we have to make sure that we're using like a dynamic URL for the handouts because if I see a typo, I don't want to replace it in eight different places. I want to replace it in one place. The whole point of the course is to help people understand their own archetype, but also to understand their client's archetype because then you can target your marketing. But of Mm -hmm. course, like an idiot, what I'm doing is I'm doing it eight times to show people. And then when they join the course, they'll only do their archetypes, not all of them. It's so hilarious because I'm doing it like a ruler. Rulers overcomplicate things. They're delusional about time and space. Mm. They just assume they'll just work harder and just make it happen. And so it's been such a good lesson in myself, even to the point where um, when I did the filming, I underestimated how long it would take to film. I thought each archetype would take two hours. It took four hours. So I was filming till midnight every night. I thought we'd just a couple of weeks would be fine to edit all the videos. It's taken months to edit the video. So I had to push the launch. It's such a good example of you have to watch your sabotages and you have to ask for help, but it's going to be so much fun. And I spent probably about two months building the sets and the costumes. I went to like thrift stores. I went to marketplace for months. Like I was literally like, okay, Mark, you need to go out. You need to get a hundred dollars cash. You need to go to this lady's house and you need to pick up this thing. He's like, what am I picking up? Don't ask any questions. <laughs> Celebrity set. Yeah. Um, So literally there's so many Easter eggs and this is going to be so much fun to show people when this comes out, like in the connector set, for example, connectors are peacemakers. Mm. They're all about the collective. So in the background, I've got a peace lily. I've got a little statue of Poppy from Trolls, who is the ultimate connector. There's thank you cards from clients. There's pictures of my family. There's love hearts and rainbows everywhere. So each archetype had their own mug, their own flowers, their own different chair, their own slightly different color scheme. I filmed all these videos at my farm. And so each kind of room was a different set and they looked so completely different. Yeah, even the outfits, I probably had to come up with about five outfits per archetype. So I ended up with about 40 different outfits. So I hired a stylist to come in. And each one was kind of either based on somebody I knew or based on someone kind of famous within the archetype. The celebrity look, I was like, this is the Amanda Francis look. Mm. This is the Ali Brown look. Mm. This is the, um, you know, whatever look. With the Maverick one, I was like, this is the Angelica Houston look. You know, this is the rock star look. This is the um, Chrissy Amphlett from the Divinals look. I mean, I'm buying this course just to see (laughs) the fashion and the set. Sounds incredible. There was so much attention to detail. Like literally with the connector, I had like a heart ring. I had a friendship bracelet that had like BFF on it. Mm. Um, I had heart earrings for some of them. For the nurturer set, I had a, a little cat necklace because when I interviewed all the nurturers um, from the course, everyone had a cat. Like literally everyone's video, this cat would come in. And so I was like, oh, I need a little cat. And then nurturers are always thinking about other people. So in the background, I had tea and cookies and blankies and, you know, like even the books were related to it. I even wanted to go even further than that. I I wanted to have a perfume 
her archetype. I wanted to change my underwear, but I actually had no time. <laughs> and I didn't have enough time to do it. I, and I have a, there's a music video for it as well. Like so much work has gone into this and I really hope people enjoy it. Um, Sounds incredible. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, by the time this comes out, it will probably be around, but people can do the quiz if they go to denisedt.com slash quiz yeah, and they can find out what archetype they are. I think it's coming out second week in August. Okay. Amazing. There's the quiz there now. You just won't see all the, the new this will come out just before then so that's yeah oh perfect I'm literally going to do a behind the scenes where I'm like did you see all of these little easter eggs you know like the accumulator there's like scales and calculators and post-it notes and like symmetrical pencils and then in the ruler set there's like crowns and queen bees and a picture of Beyonce and a picture of Meghan Markle and yeah it was honestly the most fun but I still had to think of it in context of All Roads Lead to Money Bootcamp. And so even the price of it, it could be a $3,000 course, but I made it a cheaper course because I wanted it to be a route to bootcamp, not a detour, and to try and think about how that all works. But thank you for asking me about that. Obviously, um, I could come sure. on and talk about that again. We can talk about it after the launch because I'm, I'm actually going to do a lot of tracking through the launch because I want to see who buys and when they buy. Yes. Because I suspect like the rulers jump in as soon as that you know link is there on the fourth video, they might join. Whereas the accumulators tend to join right at the end because they're waiting, like, is the price going to drop? Is this a good investment for me? Yeah. I want to try and track all of those stats to see we're, we're making the payment plan um, $111 because I think that gets the alchemists. So yeah. I want to see if they join because they go, oh, it's a sign. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Oh my God. Even oh, just one more thing on that. Cause I know I have to go in a sec, but yeah. the Maverick set is all about freedom. Mm. And so we did like a world traveler theme. So there's like bags, you know, leather bags and cameras and trinkets from around the world. And, you know, like a passport and just things like that. You, you won't even notice necessarily. I but will now. I, I'm going to be watching with that in mind. You will. and But also I felt different when I sat yeah. in that set. My yeah. voice changed. The speed changed. Mm. My, my whole energy changed. And I really felt so connected to those people. And then when I like took it off, I felt really sad. I was like, yeah. oh, goodbye, my friend. And then I'd be in the next set and I'd go, oh, who even was that? Like yeah. I don't even feel that energy anymore. It was an incredible professional experience for me. I've never had as much fun. And also I've spent so much fucking money. Because so I, I was like, I'm going to buy a record player for the Maverick one. And I'm going to, I need a new desk because, you know, the celebrities always have gold desks. And I, I spent so much money. And the editing has been so expensive because I was like, we need different music. We did need different intro music. We need different B-roll. And so I've spent so many hours going through those B-roll sites to go, okay, that's a maverick person. That's an alchemist person. That's a nurturer person. Yeah, and I'm still in it for the next Amazing. couple of weeks. And I just launched a new book. So Chillpreneur came out in 2017. My publisher asked me to do an updated version for post-pandemic, but also because people would contact me and say, that's great, but it doesn't work for my industry. So I was able to put in more examples, case studies of different um, different people. And I did a whole bunch of new bonuses. So if people read Chillpreneur as it was, 
to incentivize people to upgrade to the new version, I've done a whole bunch of albums of meditations and visualizations to change your money mindset, to get over the fear of marketing, to break free six and seven figure income levels. And people can get that at denisedt.com slash prosper. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I freaking love this conversation so much. And you're right. We did go over time. You called it. You called it. So I will let you go. Thank you. Yeah. I've got my yoga teacher literally coming to my, (laughs) to my office right now. And that's that's the only way. Otherwise I would probably just work. I love it. Work so much, but she has to come here. So I have to take a break, but I've loved our conversation, Ellie. Thank you so much. So much. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been incredible. 